Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. I want to talk today about um, the, the, the title that I thought I was going to go with is Quit Being Mean. Quit Being Mean. Anybody feel like you're mean sometimes? This is, this is, I don't say this to be condemning, but it's something that I've observed in my own life, in some of y'all's lives, and just people's lives in general. But see, the biggest thing that happens, so here's, here's, here's where we're starting. Does stress make you self-centered and mean to the people who love you? Honestly, I kind of feel like we could just put this question up here and sit for an hour <laughs> and go through a whole range of emotions. And be, you know, some of y'all are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you probably need to hear this today. <laughs> But it's, you know, it just hit me this week. And it's something that I've thought about and wanted to talk about, couldn't find the right space for it. But today seemed to make sense for it. And it's like, man, I'm telling you, people struggle and hurt others more so accidentally because of how we're responding to the pressures of life than intentionally. You know, it's not like people are mean intentionally. It's that how we react to stress, how we react to the world around us, how we react to what's going on that causes us to go into this self-protection mode, which causes us to be, causes us to be self-centered. And it's like, you know, we're, 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 just, we're just edgy and easily offended and people have to walk on eggshells around us. And maybe not all the time, certain situations, like when you're putting up the Christmas tree, that's when I like to get really, <laughs> that's like when I like to be mean. <laughs> I get, a little, I get a little travel packing meanness too. Does anybody do that? You're getting ready to go like the day before, the morning of, and it's like, you know. And you, you know it's coming. It's like a train wreck. You can see it coming and you're like, no. And you do it anyway. And then, and, but thankfully my family's learned to go, we're just going to stay over here, you know, until he's done and then we can go, you know. It's so dumb. Why do we do that? I think we just get stressed and we just react, you know, and we've got to change your life. I see, I see y'all poking each other. but <laughs> And so there's some lightheartedness to it. But honestly, if, if we, so this is a real issue for people. And, and uh, you know, there's health factors. There's uh, your past, the things that you've been through. It's easily to get triggered. You know, you've, you've legitimately experienced injustices. People have, you fought with your parents or, you know, maybe your siblings were deceitful and abusive and whatever the case may be, you know, you, get, you were objectified or somebody took advantage of you. I mean, we have those legitimate issues and they get in our minds, they get in our hearts and they sometimes get stuck and given the right scenario, it triggers it and it comes out and you turn into the rage monster and you don't even know why you did it. And then you forget about it, 
And then you look around and it's like smoking and everybody's cowering in the corner and you're wondering what's wrong with them. It's not that big of a deal. You're just used to the trauma. You're just used to the overreaction. You're just used to the uh, certain level of chaos that, is, that might be unusual for the other person. And it's temporary, temporary. And it's interesting about the brain when you flip into these modes, sometimes you don't even really realize what's going on. You don't even realize until afterward and then some of you can block it out and you forget about it and then you act like nothing ever happened. Does that, does that ever happen to you? Or maybe you grew up in a home like that, you know? I try to be real careful about talking about my childhood. There's some stories I could tell, but you know, my dad was a pretty uh, deep alcoholic, but very high functioning. He could do everything that he was doing, not drinking, you know, successful guy. But you know, that we would have these moments and it just would be like, we would be terrified. I mean, like literally my brother and I fighting him to keep him off of my mother and then my brother takes the brunt and pulls him into a room and I run out of the house with my mom and we're hiding and then he comes running out and then acts like nothing ever even happened the next day. And you're like, you know, you just, you just develop this toughness and you just develop this callus where, you know, you just push it away. And, and th thankfully I processed through a lot of that and we were able to mend things up later on in life to, you know, to a large degree. But man, a lot of us are dealing with that stuff. It's a PTSD type of thing and, and we react. And what I want you to know is that you can be free from that. You, you literally can be free from that. A lot of it is mind renewal, putting on the new man, recognizing in the moment what's happening, being willing to apologize, being willing to admit, and, and being willing to make it safe for the people that love you to come to you and address these types of things. And this is not necessarily for everybody, but a lot of people really struggle with this and deal with it. The other question I have is, have you ever hurt or disappointed loved ones out of self-centeredness? You know, we're all selfish to a degree. We're all out for our own interests to a degree. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but uh, when we do it and hurt others, out of how we're responding to stress, we need to make some course corrections. So I just want to look at a few things. These, these are, you may not be able to read all this. I just kind of wanted to have it all on one slide. You can look on the back if it's closer. This kind of encapsulates everything that I want to look at today. I've got a few passages. But so we're mean out of self-centeredness. And we're self-centered out of fear, stress, or pride. Some people, it's, it's an honest mistake. Stress comes and you just go into fight mode, protection mode, or flight mode, where you gotta get out of the situation and you know, they, they can't, I just gotta get away from you, you know? And you don't realize that you're hurting the other person when that happens, but usually that's where the self-centeredness comes out of. Some of it, it's pride, arrogance. We're so full of ourselves, we think very highly of ourselves that, you know, I'm not gonna go into that a whole lot. That's another subject. But when we're afraid, we make everything about us. And that's when we become self-centered and mean and hurt people, usually out of fear. Because when you're afraid, you make everything about you. So what do you do? What do you do with the fear? And then when we're stressed, and so I've got you know, quick scriptures here. The solution for self-centeredness out of fear is he's not giving you the spirit of fear. And then when we're stressed and self-centered and mean, the solution is 
the finding literally the joy of the Lord to be strong. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And then when we're prideful and arrogant, the solution is esteem others above yourselves. It's pretty easy, right? Okay, we're done. We're all fixed. But let's just look at a few of these passages. Um, this is John 16, 33. This is Jesus speaking. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. And he's talking, he's, you know, it's toward the end. He's telling them things that are going to be coming upon them. And he says, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And we all know this, but do we live in the power of the promise of this? So the word tribulation here, are you familiar with it? It means pressure, affliction, distress, and oppression. So that's going to happen. You are going to experience pressure. You are going to be afflicted. You're going to be distressed and oppressed. But be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. Well, how is that helpful for you? It's like, well, that's good for you, Jesus. I'm glad you've overcome the world, but I'm feeling pretty stressed right now. What do you do? That's where you have to learn to put on the new man. That's where you literally have to learn to use your faith to step into the grace that's available and grace strengthen you and empower you in that moment. It quite literally looks like this. When you are stressed and afraid and you're angry, you do whatever it takes to arrest your thinking. You bring every thought captive to, the, to obey the truth of Christ or to the obedience of Christ or to make it obedient to what Christ was obedient to. This is the put off, put on. But it takes great self-awareness in the moment. So what he's telling you is there's a whole thing beyond this that is boiled down in the idea that the reason that you can have joy and peace in the face of pressure and stress and oppression and affliction and tribulation is because he's overcome the world and you are in him. In him, you have overcome the world. Even if you find yourself called to a very hostile area where they are literally killing Christians, which could happen, you still, there's a joy and a peace that transcends this world. The kind of pressure that comes in, most of us aren't going to face that. Most of us are going to face some mean things that our relatives said, or you get made fun of at work, or you know, an unsavory comment on in the internet. Or, that's usually the, the kind of persecution that we experience. But the pressures of life in general, financial, relational, that's the stuff where we mostly deal with pressure and tribulation. Are you with me? Just the regular old day-to-day -day things that we find, we put ourselves in these situations and we're dealing with this stuff, oftentimes we're just not aware, we're not self-aware enough to recognize that we actually need to stop, take a, take a pause, take a breath, be honest with yourself, recognize, okay, I don't have to feel this way. I don't have to be stressed. And it's legitimate, you know, grief, for example. Very legitimate reasons to grieve. And there's a process to it, and it should be processed, and you should own it. You don't just pretend like it didn't happen and put the blinders on, let's toughen up, I'm fine. Jesus is in me, and then, I'll, and then you fake it. You know, you don't want to do that. You, you, you want to allow the Holy Spirit to actually walk you through this process where you put off the old. 
In other words, you process what you went through. You genuinely think, and if you're having trouble doing that, then go to a home group. And if that's not deep enough to what you need to experience, then get a counselor, whatever it might be, do something to help you work through these. The way that you know that you might need a little extra help to work through something is if you do have these moments where you, you feel like it's not that big of a deal, but you notice how you're affecting the people around you. You notice how they're, you know, people, you know, you meet these, man, I'm just thinking of a few situations and I'm, I'm not looking at y'all because I'm really not thinking about, but, but, you know, in ministry, you come across lots of opportunities. Sometimes the most difficult people to help are the people who have legitimately been victimized. The scenario is over, but they're still the victim. They still hold on to the injustice, the injustice, the things that were done that were unfair to them, that were legitimately done unfair to them, but it's gotten so deeply within them, it's like they become vexed by it that they can't move, over, move beyond it and get over it and put it down and let it aside and move on. You know, that person may need some extra help because maybe you just don't know. You don't know how to walk through some things. You don't know how to take what's in Scripture, the reality of who you are in Christ, mix it with faith, experience the grace of transformation and then be able to move. It's not that you deny that it happened. It's not that you deny that you legitimately were victimized and an injustice was done to you, but you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay stuck. You don't have to, you don't have to go through the rest of your life thinking that every person is going to disappoint you. Everybody's out to get you. It's always going to go wrong. I don't care every time the same, you know, if the same thing keeps happening to you over and over and over, you might be the common denominator. Everybody smile. <laughs> it's not so rosy, but you know, here's the thing. We can get all mystical and spiritual and theological and talk about these things on very loft, lofty, airy, you know, levels. But I want this stuff to work in real life. When Jesus says, when pressure comes, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. I want you to realize that is an incredible promise for me to not have to live under the weight of anything. I'm not saying everything's going to magically going to work out for you. I'm just saying in the midst of it, you can find peace and joy. And interestingly enough, when your mind is more in that state and your heart is more in that state of gratitude and thankfulness, you hear God better. You connect with God better. The things that He's trying to do in your life, you stop blocking. It's such an interesting dynamic thing that happens in the heart where, you know, we think it, when there's a disconnect between the heart and the head, meaning in your mind, you see a scripture and you believe for it and you're trying to believe, but in your heart, you're, there's something going on that's still resistant to it. There's got to be a connection. And there's no, there's no shortcut to put off the old and put on the new. I think every sermon that you're going to hear in this church is always going to be some element of putting off the old, putting on the new. When, I, when I'm speaking to you, I'm spe I feel like I'm preaching to the new you. This, I'm trying to remind you who you are. You know, I'm not really trying to address the problem that you're dealing with. I'm not really trying to address the sin habit, 
the failure, the disease, the illness, the issue, whatever it might be. I'm looking at you going, hey, remember, you have been made new. You do have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. You share Christ's authority. You can do something about this. You don't have to stay there. You're not that person that's under that weight anymore. That sin habit, you're free from it because you're under grace, not meaning mercy where you should just do it and not feel bad about it, but you have a power in you that's stronger than the lure itself. Are you with me? I'm looking at a bunch of righteous beings. If you said yes to Jesus, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're holy before Him. And in the areas where you struggle believing that, those are the areas where you need to put off the old, put on the new, so that you live in the power of it. And this is just one of those areas. So uh, when stress makes you self-centered and mean, stress, you have this promise. Jesus has overcome the world. I can have peace because He's overcome the world and I'm in Him. Now, from there you have to develop a very personal scriptural strategy with the, the scripture informing the process. You know, the word, of, the word of the Lord is a lamp to your feet. In other words, the scripture will show you what steps to take. And then you have to be committed to letting it do a work in you. In other words, you have to actually be willing to let it change you. And when you see the glimpses, this is the, the hardest part of change is actually stepping into the opportunity to make a different decision. Did you catch that? The toughest part of change is when that revelation glimmers, you actually step into the opportunity to make the different decision. Does that make sense? And, and, the, and grace will fuel you in that moment. It just will. So... Stress, you have this promise here. And, you know, you could put this together anyway. Um, and, and this as well, I, I skipped this, but in Nehemiah 8, 10, the, the last part, do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Can I give you another homework assignment? Read John chapter 17. And then spend a little bit of time working out how this personally makes sense to you. How is God's joy your strength? Let's just do a little interaction. Let me hear a couple of answers. Why in the world would, God ha God, would God's happiness and joy level be strength for you? Why, why could that possibly be a reality? Somebody throw one out. Because his promises are real. Confidence in my relationship with my father. Confidence in your relationship with your father. A different, a different perception. Those are all good. You know, for me, um, there, I, you know, my, I see things as well, so I get this, I get my imagination involved. And I'm not trying to see this picture, but when I see this, I pay attention, and I feel like the father is happy to have me and his family. For the joy set before Jesus, and He endured the cross. Well, why did He die for me? For you? Yeah, I was thinking about this. The fact that it was an eternal sacrifice, once and for all, uh, and he, when He ascended, 
When he ascended, Hebrews tells us he took his own blood and went into the heavenly holy of holies and cleansed that place and offered his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. That's what I want to see. I want to see that. I want to go into heaven, go to that heavenly holy of holies, go to that mercy seat, and look at his blood sprinkled on that place. That was God's idea. You know, there's some things that we may not understand about sacrifice, but what that does tell me is that in order for me as an imperfect, broken, dead-in-my-sin human to be regenerated and able to live in the light and perfection of that place, His exchange for me, that blood, is what did it. That blood is what changed me and cleansed me. And God's happy to have done that. And for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. And I am that joy. So when I look at this, I'm not going to be sorrowful. God is happy to have me and his family. It's a fundamental change of how God sees you in some ways. And that's a big mission for this church is change the way that you see God. Some of you think that he's just itching to judge you and cast you away. But man, I'm telling you, he went, he did everything he could possibly do to get you into a place where you can live with him forever because he loves you that much. And, I'm, and I, was, I had this element of thought about that where, you know, some personal experience in experiencing in the, in the salvation moment that I had with Jesus and this whole vision thing. But, but it's like, Jesus, you know, how many of you ever felt like God told you or Jesus told you or the Holy Spirit revealed to you? Even if it had just been you, he still would have done it. Raise your hand if you've ever felt that. Yeah. It's a, very, it's a very common thing to experience that. And I think of it in terms of like a timeless experience where Jesus did die for all of humanity and those who believe will receive his salvation, but he did it in, it's like outside of time. You ever seen Interstellar? Would you like for me to explain to you the complexity of 11-dimensional realities in this brief moment? If you're outside of time and you're seeing this person has its timeline, this person has his timeline, this person has her timeline, you can engage in each timeline but not be sucked into their timeline. Are you with me? That makes a whole lot of sense, right? But individually outside of time, he has the capacity to eternally interact with each individual person in a timeless aspect. He's not limited to your timeline. So it's as if he individually died for each one. of He consciously made the decision. It wasn't just a blanket decision. I think it was that. But this is just how I understand it. You know, he literally, I, it was, this was my experience, and I'm just kind of riffing here a little bit, you know, so give me some creative license here. Personally, when I got, I think the moment that I got saved, I had this experience. I could see Jesus. You know, it's just this thing. I can still see it, but but... It was as if I could see him back in time on that cross looking forward into time and seeing when I would believe on him. And it was as if while he was on that cross, it was, it was like it was happening at the same time, you know, but outside of time. Like, like it, I, it was like a memory but happening where he could see me in the future making the decision to believe on him. And, it, and, and he said... I would have done this if it were just you. 
and it was deeply personal and incredibly powerful. And I just, I just want you to grasp that, the connectedness that Jesus has specifically with your salvation, you, you alone. Amen? For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. His joy literally can be your strength. You ever have somebody in your life that really believes in you? You know, maybe it gives you strength and courage beyond where you think you have the capacity to live and come out of that thing. But you're like, man, they're kind of encouraging me here. So I feel like, oh, man. And you almost start to make decisions, you know, not to, not to keep them happy, but almost living on their hope, you know. That's us, man. God has great hope for you to experience everything He died for you to have. Then He gives you His power. This is what happens when we go away for a week. I've got 12 sermons all packed in one. So, um, so fear, this is, and this is the last one, when fear makes you self-centered, and we all know this passage, God has not, this is 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And this is where you connect with that individual salvation element that God has given you in Christ, and it's your salvation for you. And you personalize this, and you recognize who you are in Him and how He sees you, and you let that develop within you a sound mind. I don't know, it's hard to put into words. We turn to all kinds of things. We turn to you know, the whole list of things, right, that we turn to. But it's like, man, do you, do you turn to Him? And when I say turn to Him, I mean you've taken the time to maybe go through the Bible and create a list of passages that are very meaningful to you that God, where you maybe feel like, okay, this is why God sent Jesus to die for me, this. This, this passage right here is very personal to me in my salvation. For me, it was in Colossians 2, or Colossians 1, that um, he has he, uh, uh, delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. That was deeply personal for me because I believed that I was in the power of darkness, dead and in the power of darkness. To have been translated, it's a very specific word, to have been translated, in other words, taken from one place and put into another, into his kingdom. Deeply personal for me. I hope that you have those as well, where in these moments, you can go into that word. It affects how you see yourself and how God sees you, and it then gives you a sound mind. Well, God cares for me in this instance. God sees me. God knows. You know, He is a high priest touched with the feelings of your infirmities. He knows exactly how to care for you. He knows exactly how to minister to you. He knows what you're going through. I mean, I'm connected with somebody right now that feels abandoned by God. And, and if God were a person, well, let me just say, there are, there are, you, have to, you have to know how to go into Scripture and personalize these things to help you get yourself out of the muck. I don't want to go too deep into that. I just, I just, it gets too personal. But so the last one, when pride, I think this is the last, last one. 
when pride and arrogance makes you self-centered, right here. And really, this is for all of us, and I, and I want to end on this for all of us. This is Philippians 2, 3, and 4, because hurting people because we're selfish, because we're clueless or we're just not paying attention or whatever, if we develop this discipline into our lives of how to see others, man, it, it really starts to change the game. So I, you know, if you don't remember anything leaving out of here, this is your third homework assignment. <laughs> and you could just make it the first one and forget about the other two and just do this every day for the rest of your life. Easy enough? Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. I mean, what if we just did that? Especially when the rage monster is rearing its head. Are you with me? Like, I don't know, man. Print this poster, tattoo it on your forehead. Don't really do that, but you know. Put something on the mirror. If, you're, if, if this is hitting home with you in terms of the self-centeredness and the meanness and the reactionariness, put this mindset on daily. Put this mindset on when you're going in to deal with the situations that you're dealing with where you overreact and you have trouble. And again, I don't want, I don't want, to, I'm not saying if you're currently going through something that's difficult with somebody and you're in, in grief or you're in the work of working it out or bringing healing to that relate. I get it. You know, things are happening in this moment right now. You're dealing with stuff. So I'm not just saying just get over it. But when we put the, when we make this a priority, it starts to help us heal. Amen. And it's really the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you wish you would have others do unto you. Love one another. And by our love for one another, we should, we should be known. So, but I looked up this word esteem, and it's to consider, to deem. In other words, I deem you this. We're good at deeming. I deem you a knucklehead. I deem you not worth it. I deem you, uh-uh, I definitely ain't going there. What can we deem Riley? I deem you awesome. <laughs> Are you with me? All right, so think. Basically, it's just this. I consider others, I esteem others better, and better, it's an interesting word. It actually means very close to what we would understand that word better, but it really, it kind of leans toward first or more important, you know? And, it, and it's like, this is, not your, this is not your license to continue to be a doormat in terms of codependency, you know, uh, where you're in a relationship, where you're being used. That's not spiritual. That's not loving to that person to let them continue to use you. And you just say, well, I'm always putting people first. In fact, I've got, some, I've got, I've got this here. Do, do you say these things? They need to think of me. I always put people's needs, and no one puts mine first. You ever say that? Don't raise your hand. Notice how those sentences end and start. I and me. I have this conversation all the time. Well, I'm just, I'm just always doing for other people before they do for me, and I'm just always... I'm like, gosh, it's, it's, it's complex, right? Because 
it's like, it's, like a, it's like a pendulum swinging. On one hand, we're so self-centered that we never think of anybody other than ourselves. And on the other hand, we're so broken and damaged and victim-minded that we think we're putting everybody first, but really we're just letting ourselves get used and abused or having high expectations that you, don't, you shouldn't have for others. There's a lot on this bone right here to chew on. I can see the wheels turning. But if we can commit to this, let nothing be done through selfishness, selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let's, let's see what that looks like. Let's start to make a commitment to making decisions that way. Let's start to collectively, as the body of Christ, think about how can we actually love one another to the degree that we as a group, our love for one another actually bears witness to the unbelieving world that we have something figured out. And that is love is of God and us united putting each other first is the way of the kingdom. You know, that, that was a, a big part of the prophecy of God to Abraham is that God would create and purchase for himself a holy nation of kings and priests that would stick to his laws and statutes, that he would bless so tremendously that how they lived would be so set apart from this broken world that it would be a sign to the unbelieving world, God's kingdom is better than our kingdom. Living according to His rules and how He constructs society is better than ours. And they're the model. They're the people that are actually living that way. And look how it works out for them. They take care of each other. They take care of the widows. They take care of the broken and the bruised. They take care of people that are legitimately in need. There's not anybody among them that is cast aside and thrown away. They actually literally love each other. That is how it is in the kingdom of God. Oh, our way is not so great. We're trying to gather up and hoard up everything and control everything and depopulate. I'm not going to go there, but you know. There is a way that we as believers can live toward one another that is a sign to the unbelieving world that shows them that living God's way is better. And if Mike were to jump up here, he could take that language and apply it to the founding of this nation and how it, you know, in, in, in the founding principles, given all the blemishes, and I understand that, uh, organized for self-governance and self-management and you know, of the people, by the people, for the people. A very kingdom idea. I'm not saying that America is the kingdom of God because we've gotten a lot wrong. But in that way, you look at how a group of people are living a certain way. That's how the body of Christ should be. And I really don't like preaching should. But this is a reality. You know? I mean, do you want to represent God? How many of you want to be evangelists for Christ? Everyone raise your... Bob, raise your hand. There we go. Thank you. This is one way to do it. I'm telling you. It may not be door knocking and getting people saved, but considering others before yourself, 
is a great way to witness. Maybe your neighbor, you know, maybe your coworker, whatever. How can you apply this? Amen? Life in his kingdom is so much better. Let's live this stuff out. Be examples. Amen? I think because we had the prayer before. Uh, uh, thank you. Shows the worship team a little bit of love one more time. Thank you. And let, let's, let's just stand up. And just for a couple minutes, I just want you to think about what does it look like? What does it look like for you to actually put this into practice? Maybe read this passage one more time and ask the Lord in this moment right now to show you, how can I live this out? How can I put this into practice? Thank you, Father. And then you, I'll show you, I'll show you what you can do to put this mindset on. You can take this and say, I am not going to do anything selfish. I'm going to make sure that every decision, every desire, every ambition that I have, I'm not conceited and I'm not selfish. I'm not just doing it for me. And in lowliness of mind or in humility, I'm literally, as I make this decision, I'm going to think about how does this affect other people? How does this affect my wife and my children and my church and my friends and my job and the world around me? Let me just think of it. Let me just make sure that as I think this thing through, that this is the best thing for everybody. Now, not every single decision is going to fall into this category, but maybe you're dealing with a stressful area. This is how you do it. You put it on. You personalize it. You first person present. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, and, the, and so you got a decision to make maybe with a person in your life and you're asking yourself, am I, am I just trying to benefit in this or am I actually thinking about the other person's best interest? In fact, what is the other person's best interest in this? How can I make a decision where they actually are benefited more than me? Not to my detriment or deficit, but I'm considering them, Right. I'm putting them, I'm laying my life down, and I'm genuinely thinking, what's the best thing for this person? And not that you're making the decision for them, but you're just considering them, right? So that it's a win-win for them as well. And that's a, that, that is as spiritual as levitating off the platform and healing someone. <laughs> it just is, because that's the way of the kingdom. It's the way of spirit. It leads toward life. life spirit is life not just this mystical phenomenon, right? You want to live a spiritual life? Make decisions considering others and literally putting them first and how you're affecting them. But you got to have good self-worth, otherwise you'll always diminish yourself in that decision-making process. Are you with me? So, Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you're, that you're so smart. And that we literally have a written aspect of who you are that we can go into and engage and wrestle with it and put it in our minds and put it in our hearts and think about it and intend to put it into practice. And it will teach us. It will guide us. It will change us. It will bear fruit to your glory and it will represent your kingdom and make us uh, examples of who you are and your transformative power. So thank you for your word. We are committed to living according to your laws and statutes, to living according to how you say to live, to please you and bring glory to your name and be examples. So we thank you for the grace to live that way, to put off the old and put on the new, that you would be glorified. And we trust you, Jesus, and we love you. In your name, in your authority, we pray.
Amen, amen, amen.